Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest on the show is Kavika Drummond. You know him on Instagram for his incredible Instagram page, Children of the Free World. Give him a follow if you don't. And I didn't know what to expect going into this conversation, but have to say that I left uh, a bigger Kavika fan than I went in. And I was already a, a pretty big Kavika fan. I love it when folks can are incredibly real. And with Kavika, I didn't feel any guard whatsoever. He was incredibly open and thoughtful. Um, he's a very soulful dude, puts a lot of love into everything that he does. And I think that this podcast is a great way to get to know him. And so I hope that you give it a full listen and appreciate um, the depths in which we went to uh, in this show. So before we jump in, a couple notes. Today's like Christmas for me. I am beyond frothy. I keep checking DHL every five minutes because the first real prototype that Cliffy and I did together. Now, there's been two that we've tested, but the way that we went about this was we wanted to um, minimize variables at the beginning and test foil sections and a couple ideas that we had with foils that we knew and understood already. So the first two prototypes were a design that was established and testing specific variables. And then what we've learned from that, we have now taken into the first design that we have done together. So it's a little different way. We didn't start with the design and go, all right, let's make this work. We started with... um, a foil that we knew worked changed variables in that foil uh, until we figured out what we wanted and now have started working on the design. And the first one shows up at some point today if DHL is on it. And I just, I'm as frothy as is possible. I mean, I'm pretty frothy all this. I run hot, but boy, I'm hot today. So <laughs> I just can't wait. Um, see what else has been going on. Uh, been testing a shorter fuse. Uh, TJ, big wins, always hooking it up. Jim Stringfellow did a shorter fuse for the Takuma, sent that over, and I've been testing. That's been really interesting. And I'm not 100% sure I like the shorter fuse, but there are definitely some aspects that I do like. And I think that this one is five centimeters shorter than the Takuma. I think that's too much. I think when we're talking about distances and shim degrees and all that kind of stuff, the mentality has been, um, you know, five centimeters for a, a, a fuse length or a degree on a shim. And now I think that the beauty and nuance is coming in a quarter degree shim or in a centimeter or two. Um, sorry about the beeps, guys. It's it's uh, middle of the work day and I forgot to mute. I always do this. Do not disturb for an hour. All right, done. So um, I think that it's going to be in the extreme nuance, quarter degree, one centimeter in that area. So um, 
I think that's something that that Cliffy and I are really going to explore. I mean, there's a couple relationships that I think are very important to feel on foil. And we are trying to separate out the variables there and make it uh, to be able to test. And I don't know, maybe, maybe other folks are doing that, but I think it's a, a cool part of the process too. I mean, you've got foil section, you've got design, you've got relationship between leading edge of mass, leading edge of foil, fuse length, um, where the tail sits in relationship to the front foil, stiffness of mass. I mean, there's a lot of variables that are not on the surface important, but I think the sum of the parts creates a very different feel. And so we're going for a very specific feel on this foil. And I don't know how many iterations it's going to take. I mean, maybe it's five and maybe it's 20. Uh, the beautiful thing about the situation that, uh, you know, like the con- contract, I don't know, the agreement that we have uh, with Unifoil is that uh, if we're going to put this out and it's going to be good, we can do as many prototypes as need be until it's right. And so I'm not sure... Uh, if and oh, and the other beautiful thing is, is we get to do those for each size. And so I think a lot of things just scale linearly. People are like, oh, it works in the 170. Let's make a 150. Let's make a 130. And then they just kind of like in shape 3D. When you shape a surfboard, you just simply you know put in the new size, and that's it. But we're going to test each of these ranges. So it might be a slow process, and the foils might come out. You know the one. 70, 175, whatever we decide on the first one might come out a couple months before the next size because it might take a little bit of time to get the next one right. But that's the goal. I want to create something that's, before doing this, I want to do it right. And I want to uh, make sure that each one is as good as the other. I don't want to have, I mean, sometimes you ride a foil and it's like, oh, the 150 is magic, but the, you know, whatever it is, uh, isn't isn't as good. Where, where did it go wrong? So, uh, super fun. Um, been recording a lot of shows. I've got uh, Hunter Sato has recorded, Andy Reichert has recorded, Zane Westwood has recorded. So those will all be trickling out over the next few weeks or so. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm going to have a busy summer, so I'm trying to get a bunch of shows in the can, but there's some good stuff coming. So hope everybody is well. Enjoy your weekend. Today is a Friday and, you know, send it hard as possible. All right. Be well. All right. Kavika, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm very good. Aloha. Stoked to finally make this happen. It's I've, cool. I've wanted to have you on for, for such a long time because I'm a huge fan of your Instagram posts and <laughs> like yeah super entertaining but informative and uh, all everything all the above everything beautiful yeah i know it's been it's been awesome man i've been super stoked to to have have your podcast it's been a uh, oh, ever since the beginning i was just like oh man just listening to pretty much every episode and it's been really helpful and Thanks. just seeing yeah your progression along the way too and just the videos and yeah it's, it's it's really helpful for the foiling community for sure awesome it, it stokes me out that people get value from it because it's so fun to do it's cool when those things intersect fun and value so i don't know anything about you outside of the foiling instagram persona of children of the free world Tell me in who who are you what do you do what are you into yeah um it's a good question i guess i can kind of uh 
nutshell it, I guess, kind of like the life story slash kind of what I'm into and things like that. Grew up on, grew up in Hawaii. I was actually born in Kaiser Hospital, which the spot Kaiser's is named after. It was used to be right there on the beach in Waikiki. And uh, it was 1977. And it's so funny that I've, I've, I've kind of always avoided town a little bit. I mean, over the years, I had stints where I'd served town a lot. And, uh, but really just more like a North Shore guy for most of my life. And uh, foiling has broken down. One of the many awesome things about foiling is it just breaks down barriers, you know, of, uh, of whatever different sides of the island or because in on Oahu, there's quite like a town and country vibe, you know, which is funny how that whole town and country logo with the yin yang came out of that even. And this is kind of almost jumping into another topic, but, but just, just meeting Scotty from, I, I met Scotty of foil wizard for you guys mostly know him as on Instagram, but I met him kind of right before I got into foiling, just randomly out surfing and, and long story, I, mean, I should probably tell that story, but, but he was, you know, I'll just go in and tell that story because he's a big part of my foiling evolution for sure. But yeah. he, he, he was surfing at a place courts and I was surfing out there and, and he was wearing a full suit, you know, and it was pretty cold. I was like kind of freezing myself. And, but you don't often see guys wearing full suits in Hawaii. And, uh, and I was like, wow, man, you, you're pretty warm in that thing. And he was ripping too, you know? And so we just started chatting a little bit about the wetsuit and stuff. And, <laughs> and then I think around that same time that summer, I started, my one buddy started trying to get me into foiling and he's like, come on, just, just bring a wave storm and we'll trade off on a couple, you know, here and there out in Waikiki and, and uh, so I, I got more into it, a little more into it. And then somehow I, I saw his Instagram just randomly and I was like, foil wizard. I was like, is that that guy I met? And so the next time I saw him, I was like, wait, are you, are you a foiler? Cause by that time I was starting to like wonder, like, should I get a foil? Like what kind of foil should I get and all this stuff? And yeah, he was pretty instrumental in, in, in that whole thing. And which is funny because at the time he was riding the 1300 LOL mostly he called it his cruiser foil, but that was pretty much his go-to like for surf foiling and because the thing could pump so well and still turn really well, which I think that foil was really ahead of its time as far as a really good mid aspect. But he out of all the foils, he was like, you know what, probably Takuma. But at the time, it was just really hard to get them here and, um, and they were expensive. And I was like not trying to spend that much money on my first foil. <laughs> But it's funny, he, he directed me in the Takuma way. And then eventually, you know, Takuma is what I've primarily been on majority of my foiling time. But anyway, that was a sidetrack. But so, yeah, I, I grew up between from, yeah, from four years old, I moved to Maui, grew up there pretty much from four to 16, my younger years and a little bit, a little bit wave starved over there. We have epic waves, but generally just kind of like a lot of wind and stuff. And unfortunately I did not embrace the wind sports, which maybe would have been good help me out in the winging realm now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, basically just grew up up country, not too close to the beach. So I grew up skateboarding mostly. That's, that was definitely my roots was skateboarding as a kid wanting to be a pro skater. And then eventually by the time I was like 10, 11, getting a little more into bodyboarding as a default because I didn't have a surfboard and, saw some cool bodyboarders. So got into that. And then, yeah, eventually kind of from 11 years old, my dream was to be a pro bodyboarder. And uh, that basically happened. And, you know, part of that was moving back to the North shore, my last year of high school in 94. And uh, yeah, I went to Wailua high school and yeah, spent my first full winter on the North shore then, and pretty much fell in love with it and knew then I, 
think that next year, the year after I spent my first like summer on the North shore. And that's when I knew I was like, wow, this is the place I'm going to live for the rest of my life or where I'm going to call home, you know? And so, yeah. And then growing up spirituality, I, was, I grew up in this like pretty Christian household, but it was pretty like real encounters with God. I started having from a pretty young age that definitely marked my life and the path of my life, I'd say pretty strongly. And, um, so did the bodyboarding thing after high school, pretty much got to live my dream. Not that I made m- much money at it, but that was not really a priority for me. Fun has always been a massive priority for me. Fun, style, progression, kind of all those things to do with surf, skate, snow have always been things that have really driven me. I'd say board riding and, and spirit or God, however you want to call it, source energy has been the main passions of my life. And so after bodyboarding, I ended up blowing out my knee, had three knee surgeries over a couple of years, snapped ACL, PCL down in Puerto Escondido, 97 on my birthday, who, and who, you know, who was there out of that session actually was Kyle Maligro, because we used to travel together at different times. It's funny how many ex-pro bodyboarders are foilers now, and a lot of the ripping foilers too. It's, it's a lot of us have finally, we, 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 we eventually stood up and then now we're, we're, one, we're some of the first ones to the next evolution of surfing, <laughs> you know, but yeah, go on. I was going to say, if we want to stay there for a second, I think that's a really interesting thread to pull on. And that is, it seems as though having done multiple ocean board sports before foiling has given a lot more aptness i don't know just kind of blew that word there but um Mm -hmm. to to be able to try foiling to see it for what it could be and to be able to get on it early you know i came from shortboarding background and then got hurt got into sup surfing and then when i saw foiling you know actually when i moved back to florida got in got into foiling and if if you took a broad spectrum like if you looked at the percentages of foilers that have kited or bodyboarded or sup surfed or downwind supped, you know, like not on foil, mm-hmm. it's massive, you know, as a percentage of our sport. And I just think it lends itself to an open-mindedness. So like there's more ways than one to just enjoy the ocean. And then foiling comes along and just surfers are missing out in some ways, at least in Florida. Like there's so many shortboarders that won't even give it a look and we're having a hundred times more fun than they are every day. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that that's that's super key, what you just said, the open-mindedness. And this is probably a topic we could maybe get into because it's kind of one I'm a bit passionate about in the foiling space. But but what I've realized, especially with foiling, because I've always just been a, such a you know froth or just like I've never had, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys, I've never been bored really in my life that I can remember or whatever. And and I always got like some wind spells, swell spot to surf. Like pretty much my favorite spot is this spot on the east side over here, Goat Island. And everybody laughs at me because uh, it's kind of this like, but anyway, it's a super rippable, fun wave. We get waves there all summer long with, with the trade winds and stuff. And, but, but I realized that surfers, like, especially stepping into foiling and seeing the amount of like hate and resistance that I've, that I've experienced through this sport, it's like surfers are some of the most stuck in our way people, you know? And, 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 and you can look at it all throughout the evolution of surfing from, you know, whether it was like balsa boards to different, you know, to, and then twin fins and then thrusters and then leashes. Like I, you know, I talked to these old guys out here when leashes first came out out at sunset, 
guys were like, you can't wear a leash. Like people were all mad at the guys that started wearing leashes because they're like, it's going to get too crowded out here. No one's going to be swimming for their boards, you know? And, and, and meanwhile, you got like these like gnarly old school boards, like just tumbling in the white water, just taking, I'm sure taking people out, but it wasn't about the safety, you know, it was about, it was just about like how it was. And it's, and it's, and, you know, I, I, I used to run surfboard machines that the first DSD machines that they had on Oahu and I worked for Eric Arakawa and then eventually Jeff Bushman, who, you know, we then we were running Paisel's boards and stuff. And, and so I was running those machines for ages. And that, just that evolution of going from hand shapes to machine shapes was so resisted in the surf community. I mean, and it was the same with, with toe, with, with toe surfing. I was a part of that in the mid to late nineties. You know, we were really into toe surfing out here on the outer reefs. And for me, it was just like, are you kidding? This is the funnest thing ever. I can get, you know, 30 or 40 waves in a session versus, you know, two or three big ones. If I'm like paddling, well, back then we were, people weren't even barely paddling into waves like that. But, but I mean, it was just like a no brainer, but there were so many people that hated on it. That, that wasn't surfing machine shapes, aren't real surfboards, you know, and you look back at how, how you know, ignorant those, those ways of thinking are now when you see how much it's, it's, it's progressed the sport. And, and I think foiling is just one more thing. You know, like I remember hating sup, suppers when they first started coming out on these giant boards and paddles and, you know, 20 foot radius of chaos and, <laughs> you know, how, how dangerous it was. And I, I always like to remind people about that when they try to hate on me for foiling. I'm like, Hey, I got a four foot leash, like a four foot board. And it's really light. And it's like, you know, anyone who's out here able to surf foil in these kind of conditions generally is going to have a lot of control over their gear, you know? Yeah. And, but anyways, it's just been funny to see the amount of resistance. I mean, when I was in New York learning how to foil, it was like intense out there. And, and I've, you know, I've hit it with a lot of guys here. I'll be foiling out in the North shore and guys will be like, beat it. And I'm just like, for one, I'm Hawaiian too. I've been here my whole life. It's like, you know what? <laughs> I put in the time and I paid my dues. You're not going to tell me to beat it out of a spot. It's like, yeah, we do got to be courteous and you know, mindful and stuff like that. But it's like, it's just one more evolution that is being resisted. And, uh, and it's, it's funny because this is the evolution. We are now flying. Our shortboards have sprouted wings. We no longer need to go back to the longboard because it's the waves are too small for us to rip. It's like, I mean, this is like, we are on the cutting edge. This is like the most exciting time in surf history. I'm just glad that I'm alive to experience it and young enough and limber enough to like really get into it. You know, <laughs> I agree. I do think it's the most exciting thing that I have been a part of. You know, I always looked back at the the early days of surfing, you know, like the big Wednesday movie era type stuff where it was really pioneering yeah. and it's kind of like that in foiling in a way. I mean, at least in gear design and, and the evolutionary process of discovery for what's possible. You know, it, I just yeah. had a pretty failed attempt at a downwind run, wind super east, super onshore. But my goal was just to see if I could get up in pretty good swell, like six, seven feet at, at six, seven seconds, the 1095. And it took me a mile and a half of drifting down the beach, paddling out over and over and over and over again. But I chipped oh on the 1095 and it was just like such a beautiful moral victory. This was on the stop, right? This was on the SUP, yeah. yeah. In just disastrous conditions, just <laughs> straight oh. washing machine. <laughs> just because it's so hard to balance, right? No. Or was, not just, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the balance part was difficult. 
but it was about the speed of the swell moving and then getting up that little <laughs> wing. And I kept stalling. I kept starting to get it up and then stalling. And I've been riding the 1440 downwinds up a lot. I'm pretty good at chipping on that, but I hadn't tried the 1095 yet. And I just chopped my tips on the 1095. So that probably didn't help. Yeah. You know, the, the 1095 is funny. I was just right. That's what I've mostly been riding. And, and it, it does have a pretty, like once you start pumping into the, like yesterday, I was, we we're trying to do some downwind runs at diamond head and, and I was, I was, I was, I was helping this, helping a girl learn how to downwind this girl Chanel. And so I just kept catching waves in the zone and like pumping and I was trying to pump against the wind and whoo, yeah. it's tough to pump because that, that wing generally pumps pretty well, but it does have a pretty high stall speed for how big of a wing it is. And, and once you get really slow, it's hard to get it. Like, and once you touch down and try to keep going, it's, it's not like the 980 where you can just wiggle it out, you know? Right. Yeah. It's hard it's, to grade uh, it. That's what we call that. Like, Grave dig it. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a good term. But yeah, and then with the Kalama sup, as soon as I would turn back up into the wind at all, that sup is like a huge sail. It's just like break. Oh, wow. Yeah. Instant stall speed every time I did it. But I got it up three times legit offshore. Wow. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I, I, with like 32 seconds or something. <laughs> oh, crud. But. Oh, yeah, no, I still, I still have not dabbled in the sup. I've been very resistant. It's so funny because you know we have we have our Voyager chat, a little text thing, and oh my gosh, the banter on there should be a feed, an Instagram feed of its own. But it's probably good that it's not. But <laughs> anyway, the I, I just been, I just don't want to sup. Like I think it's the most uncool thing, <laughs> and it's and I don't even know if it's it's about the coolness. It's just like. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so close, you know, like the thing is almost everybody now in our Voyager chat thread is like either dabbling or is like full force, you know, like Simeon, all of a sudden he just started like running with it. He got that Kalama and, and, and he was going for it. And, and, and even recently I heard, heard Scotty, he, he, he gave it a little go and I think he's got one on order from Amundsen. I was just giving him a little massage yesterday and, and, um, uh, yeah, so so he's getting ready. So it's pretty much me and this guy Adam Ayers that are that are still like, and Adam's like, he's like, I just don't want to stop. Period. And but but for me, I'm already seeing with the Barracuda. I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to be able to paddle that Barracuda like with my arms into like windswell. I mean, I've 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 nearly caught windswells on my like you know thirty liter four six or whatever being out there. Like one time I fell, I, I fell at the Hawaii Kai run and like literally right after I fell, there was this bump behind me and I like started just pat, like, like it, it was a split second thing. And I just had, I had momentum, like close to like almost getting up. So I'm like, I'm like, do we really need the paddle? You know, it's like, can we not just like paddle into these things? But you know, it's probably just one of these things I just got to do and get over. It's just, I'm like, oh man, I got to get a board. I got to get paddle figure out how to do this again it's like i've already had so many ego crushers and foiling <laughs> i'm in the middle of it right now i have these like beautiful moments and then think i've got it and then i have these absolute shockers still but the shockers seem to happen when it's when it's bigger and and gnarlier and it seems like if i can get 15 to 20 mile an hour winds like just starting that day a solid direction where it's not changing a lot during the mm. build up, then it's pretty easy to chip. And then it's just opened up Florida. Like, yeah, it's, it's cause otherwise you have to chip in on the beach and then pump straight offshore 
you know, a long yeah. way to get into those bumps, which is really hard. And you're like, totally. So. I yeah. Okay. So, so, so I, I got a question for you because, because when I look at this up thing, I'm I, I'm more like, I, I'm definitely an, an idealist. I'm like, what is the ideal way for us to fly out there in these wind bumps, you know? And it seems to be prone, but, but, but so like, once you're up on foil with these big sub boards, is it just, like like do you get to a point where it feels just as fun as it was like on your on your little board or is it like you're riding this mini tanker like going surfing a lot or is it is it like the trade-offs all well out or is it more you just we're just doing it because we 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 don't want we're afraid of falling on prone or or you know i mean i i get the access and the comfortability and all that so for me i would say that it is not the same as prone because I'm generally upsizing foil right away. Oh, exactly. I, so, yeah. I like, I like sup surfing. I like sup foiling. So it's a different feel, but I like it. It's more like a longboard feel, but then you can get radical because you've got a paddle that you yeah. can on and you can take a lot more risk. Like when I'm, when I pump out prone, and I don't go nearly as far out prone as I do on the SUP. Like on the SUP, I just straight send it offshore, 12 minute paddle before I even try to get up. And, but then you can take a lot of risk in what you're doing because you know that you can pop back up. Totally. And you're totally. on a big board and it's easy to get back in if you couldn't for some reason. So mm-hmm, that's true. And then when you're going, well, I found when you're going, and I'm probably, I, I'm still early on in this curve. So Dave Kalama, James Casey, you know, obviously those are the guys to ask any of these questions to rigs. Yeah. But, you know, it also seems like when the wind is, is good, the board's helping you because it's catching wind where, you know, how hard mm-hmm. it is to pump into the wind. It seems mm-hmm. to act as like a sail and the glides that I'm getting like yesterday, I had one and it wasn't a great run that I had, but I had probably a minute, a minute and a half where I never pumped. I, I probably rode like, I don't know, 20 bucks nice. time, but it was just, just directionally changing, just, you know, like finding the bump, just cruising and I finished the end of that like minute and a half. I was just like laughing. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think, I think you should do it. Just yeah, look. no, I I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll have to, but I, but th- so I'm kind of on the fence for a few reasons. One, I don't really have a couple grand to drop on a board or whatever, yeah. but two, the board design, everybody's like, kind of like trying to figure out what's the best, boards and sizes and widths you know right and it seems like this barracuda is a mega game changer like i like i watch moses and he, he's on the 120 you know he's a big guy and he gets out there and he 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 gets up on that thing instantly yeah. like soon as soon as he's positioned himself where he wants to be boom he's up that's, that's on the one and, and that's on the 120 so it's like i'm like if he's, get, if he's getting up that easy on that board then do the boards really need to be that big you know and like if it's got the right shape or whatever and so I especially don't want to drop a couple grand on something yeah. that there's in, in one month, there's going to be like a way sicker thing, you know? I mean, it's, it seems, it, it seems like the narrow stuff is definitely better for the, for the getting up, like the narrower it is, like the more it, easier it pops up. And I think the faster you can glide it even. Yeah. I feel like with how much your presence on Instagram and all that kind of stuff, someone should definitely hook something up for you too so anyone out there listening is building epic downwind boards hook up kavika 
man, I'll, I'll freaking do a full document the journey. But <laughs> man, I tell you that that's what's been the, one of the most frustrating things for me in foiling has been, you know, I know there's so many factors to it with production and just being a new sport and money, whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's been, I mean, just, just even, even with Takuma, I love the company. Like for me, like I'm really into aesthetic and style and stuff. And I think Takuma has by far the best aesthetic just from their advertising to just, you know, how their wings look and everything. And, and, you know, I don't need to mention probably companies that are on the other end of that spectrum, but, but which there are a few and, but it's like, it's just hard to get any love, you know? And, and it's like, and I'm not even trying to get free stuff or like cheap stuff. I mean, I would love to get that too, but it's like, just even like, Hey, we're in Hawaii. We're towing on the North shore. Like Takuma, can you send one demo towing to Scotty or like to somebody, you know, it's like, it's like, we got the whole winter. And then, you know, we, we see, I, I see these guys in Tahiti on these like demos and stuff, like six, eight months before we even get to see something. And, um, it's just been frustrating for me. Like, 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 like when I first was, was foiling, you know, I got a lift 200 and then, and then I, I traveled, I, I went on this trip that was supposed to be three weeks that turned into five months during COVID and I ended up on the East coast of New York, like kind of like learning to foil. I only foiled about 10 times or so. I got a lift 200 sold that cause I realized I wrote it again in California, barring another guy's setup and realized it was just too much wing, you know? And, and that was right when the 170 had come out at the same time. And I really wanted to get the 170 by the time it came down to buying a wing. But Scotty was like, he's like, that's not a surf wing. You got to learn on a surf wing. He's like, that's a high aspect wing or whatever. And he hadn't really written it that much at that point either. So he wasn't, he was still mostly on his LOL, his 1300 LOL. And, and so anyway, I didn't get the 170, got the 200, sold that 200 while I was away and then ended up getting stuck. <clears throat> stuck on a GoFoil setup in in New York because I just was able to borrow it from some guy. I think I had like a 4.0 like a slingshot board, which was pretty decent, and then um, a little bit short though. But but and then I had I don't know if it was a Maliko or whatever it was. It was just one that had a whole lot of lift, and I would just get bucked off like all the time. And it was a shorter mass, which made it really hard to learn how to pump, you know? So I, it was like my foiling digressed immediately going from like the lift setup to this GoFoil, this older <laughs> GoFoil setup. But I got stuck on that for like a month and I just had to make it work, you know, cause I was, cause again, I was trying to order a foil and, and I, I wasn't sure what to get. Then eventually I was like, okay, I'm, I, oh yeah. And then the Kujira came out and Scotty got it. And Scotty's one of the first ones to get a Kujira. And I'm like, how is it? How is it, Scotty? Is it the one? You know, it's like it was the first one with the with the bumps and everything. And we're like, oh man, thing looks so sick. And he goes, yeah, best foil I ever rode. So I already knew that was the foil I wanted. And but I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I called Takuma. I called everybody I could call. I was like, throw me a bone here. Don't make me get an old foil. <laughs> you know, spend like almost two grand on like last year's model or whatever it was. And I just said, that's all I could do. And so I ordered a 1300, I think eventually I tried to get it through one place in New York, some shop couldn't get it. And then, it, then I eventually was going to get it through big wins. And then I got the discount from your podcast. Luckily in the lag time, I, I started listening to your podcast, got the discount and then, but then they had all the fires up there. And so it took me, I think a month and a half to get that actual LOL shipped out to me in New York because, because the shipments were sitting in the docks in 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 oregon i remember that yeah and so everything was just backed up so it's just been this constant and it, i swear it seems like 
that hasn't stopped <laughs> with at least the wings <laughs> I'm trying to get. It's like, just, oh my gosh, whether it's money or, or just even no access accessibility. And then I started dealing with like equipment failure, you know, and then trying to get warranties from, I mean, I missed like almost three months of foiling trying to deal with Takuma, like getting, getting a mass warranty and stuff. And it was just like, and then I got one and those were defective because the production was bad out of Asia and stuff. And then it was just like, just so many horrible sessions trying to figure out what's going wrong with the gear and stuff. <laughs> it was just like, and th then I started, but it, but it was some, it was good too. Cause then I started riding lift a little bit. I borrowed the 120 and that was like, okay wow this is this is something here too <laughs> what are your but, yeah. themes right now in new foils like in, in the evolution are you someone who's like the lift 120 have you tried the 90 you did like do you think that foils are going to continue to you know approach like 90 size and everybody's going to be riding that what are you looking at right now as as themes moving forward yeah, I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, I haven't got to ride tons of gear like you and Adam and different guys who seem to have, have been on everything. So it's like I can't really chime in on everything, but I think you kind of like can watch people and see what rises to the top and what people end up sticking with. And uh, yeah, the 120 obviously is a massive game changer. Like I like I thought that was going to be a really small wing, and you know, obviously you get on it and the thing just pumps unbelievable and goes so fast and still can carve and. But then I, you know, I got on that for a little while. I was borrowing one for a while and, and it just got to the point where I just, it wasn't a surf wing, even, even though it still turned pretty well, mm -hmm. it just still had that too much of that high aspect where I, like for me, carving is like, you know, whether it's snowboarding, <laughs> whether it's surfing, whether it's, it's like, if you're not getting tube, the next best thing is laying it on the rail and, and just carving. And that's one of the best things about foiling is now we're able to do that on one footers and get that same G force and yeah. that, you know, all that stuff. And, and, you know, which, I, which is why, you know, I, I, I love Adam's surfing and obviously you guys too, just ripping, but, but yeah, as far as foils go, like for me, for a while, I've, I've been saying like mid aspect, we got to just keep optimizing the, the, the you know, it's, I think that's going to be the, always going to be the balance or, or the, the struggle kind of like with surfing with volume versus maneuverability, you know? So with foiling, it's like high aspect versus ability to carve and rip. And then I think it really has to do with where you're foiling. And oh, that's yeah. why I think Adam is, has such an advantage because of those point breaks for one, I think in general, those point breaks have a lot less turbulence because you have those giant channels, you know, like, like here, it just feels like, you know, we, we almost always have somewhere to foil, which is, you know, I'm super grateful for, but we're generally foiling at reef breaks that aren't that long of spots. And then you often get a lot of, and the bigger it gets, the more you get turbulence that you're constantly d dealing with underwater. So whether you're carving and trying to do a turn or you're just like pumping around, it's like, you're constantly like hitting all this turbulence. And uh, which you guys, I'm sure, get a, a degree of too, because you know you don't really have channels either. Right. But I think it's just the amount of energy in the water here that's just flowing, even on like two foot days. Sometimes it's it's just a lot of energy. And so, yeah, where Adam, I think you know when you get point breaks, you don't need to pump that much. You know, you're maybe pumping a little bit to connect one or two waves max, but really you're able to surf for a minute or two on these waves, you know, or however long, like long enough, and then you can even walk back up the points. So, so it just lends it. So it's basically like towing without a jet ski. Because obviously, you're, once you're towing, you're on the optimum wing for the for the conditions. It has nothing to do with the pumping. 
But for us, it's really, we got to have pump. Like a lot of the spots like Jocko's, I love foiling at Jocko's. It's a very challenging foil wave. And sometimes I post videos of it and people realize like how much energy is out there, but it's a lot of energy <laughs> to, to manage on a foil. And, but you need to be able to pump like 30 seconds back out if you want to, because you, you can't take off on those sets. It's too intense to paddle into. So you got to chip in on the inside and then pump all the way out to the set. And then, you know, hopefully time it and, and get in. So it's just that it, it, it's it's that constant battle. But like I always said, like when Lyft just had the 120 and the 150 V2, I was like, you know what? Right in between that is the magic foil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a, a little less high aspect than the 120, so it still carves better, but 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 then not as high aspect, you know, not as as low aspect as the 150. Which honestly, I didn't even ride the 150, but I could I just heard people talk about it, and you know, I'm sure it was good, but it wasn't like revolutionary. You wrote and, that stuff, right? I think the Cabrino one yes. is pretty close to that. Okay, so so this is my thing with yes, and I'm honestly, I think the Cabrino is the best stuff I've felt so far, and and I'm trying to get some, and that's again, I'm in that waiting phase of trying to get some Cabrino stuff. I hear but the masks right now. I the, like, I have a, I cracked my Cabrino mask. I'm still riding it. The crack keeps getting. Oh, I, oh you cracked I, it. Just a little bit. It's the first generation. Brody mentioned that on the podcast. Like they had a yeah. guy, because I got basically like a prototype that Damien Leroy had down in South Florida. And so, yeah, apparently. Oh, so you had one of the really early ones. Really, really early. And it's also the older foil section, which apparently the new foil section is is way faster. But I'm waiting for the for the new mast. And apparently they just don't have any right now so big wins is waiting on them and i know no limits is right now making a cabrina mast yeah it's that'll come out in a month so that's going to be insane too because i'm a pretty big fan of, of what that's done for everything that i ride man why isn't i just realized i didn't i thought no limits had the adapters why are they not doing some kind of adapters i think it sounds like they would it seems like the cedars was a little too fat and draggy, so everybody's kind of over it. I mean, and I shouldn't say that. I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but but it seems like the no everyone's stoked on, on the no limits, but then there's no you can't adjust the yeah. There's, so, there's no adapters. So is a guy it, named Jim, uh, who's friends like out in Hood River, TJ Bigwins, a guy named Jim Stringfellow has done a no a Takuma to lift adapter that just fits right over top of the Takuma right into your lift and it's seamless. So now on my, oh, wow. my setup, I can ride lift and Takuma, which are two of my favorite foils. Nice. That's um, already amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But the Cabrina doesn't work the same way because the sizes don't line up. The, right. Yeah. That lift is, that's a bigger mount. So they're working on it though. I, I think that at some point, I mean, what I see is going to happen right now, you know, the limits has the advantage because it's a little bit faster. It's a little bit lighter. Adris has that advantage of being adaptable. Yeah. I think in the next year, they're both going to be, you know, Sagers is going to get a lot faster. No limits yeah. to figure out how to make that adapter. And it's, but it's great for all of us, right? Like totally that, that competition. I'm glad they're in competition because we're going to benefit. Absolutely. So. Man, oh, that's that's a bummer to hear about the Cabrina because I'm trying to get that ASAP. Because yeah, I was I was sampling that stuff for a little while, and I mainly just rode or rode the 800. Be I, I rode a thousand for like three waves, this really tiny day, and I, I had the bigger tail because I heard Adam uh, Adam like the bigger tail. I, I've been I, I 
Instagram with Adam quite a bit because <laughs> obviously he's inspiring us all. Yeah. And I'm always just like, what are you riding? What was that weighing? Like, well, come on, tell me. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, he he was been ripping on that 1095 for so long, but he had the 158 tail and I'm still waiting for the 158 tail. And, and, and honestly, that 178 is just way too much lift for surf foiling. It's, it's just too much lift. It's like, I have too hard of a time when it's juicy, you know? Are you, and, are you tuning it? Like, are you, I'm positive shimming the 178 and I actually think it's really good. I'm adding yeah, I'm, a degree of taking away a degree of lift. Yes. Yes. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Robbie helps me out. Cause honestly, like I, 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 I kind of lost touch with all the little like adjustments and all that stuff. And, but, but, but luckily I got homies like Robbie who are like really dialed in and they're like constantly dialing in their gear, you know? And so he, he gives me these like tiny shims and stuff, but I didn't realize that the Takuma shim actually lifted the whole tail and so, and so he has these little like V, it looks like a V, these little like tiny shims. He has all these different, you know, la- like micro adjustments. And when you put that in on the back, it just tilts it. So yep. it doesn't lift the whole tail, just tilts it. And, and that definitely is like, it, it helps us. So yeah, I know I, in waves, I have to, I have to run one of those, but it's still not as smooth. You know, it's still got, sometimes goes divey or like, I mean, it's, it's, it's generally good, but, but it's. I, I just, yeah, from what Adam said, he says the 158 changes it completely way faster, way, obviously it's going to be looser, which is my biggest problem with the 1095. It's like, I have a love-hate relationship with that thing because it does, it pumps so well, you know, when you get it on that high, high cadence, kind of like just really close to the surface, that thing just goes, but, and it does turn, but it's still this massive wingspan that does inhibit the flow you know of of the carviness and everything so the tips after yes. my tips man it's like yes. it surfs like the 980 now okay you said 980 and i want to ask you because i was reading that and i was like oh shit here it comes <laughs> and and when you say it surfs like the 980 come on the 980 is one of the most roly surfy is it really on that level just with the tips so in the size surf that I've had, I chopped it like three days ago. I've yeah. One really good, actually two good sessions on it. One, that video with the spinner shark was the chopped. Um, okay. Yeah. I've, but yeah, I mean, everything was much more lively. I don't think I would have drawn much better lines on the 980 in that session. Now, as it gets bigger, generally, you know, like as things get bigger, like you start to feel that high aspect you know, delay and roll more. So I don't know yet, but I did just do that downwind run on it. And I actually wish I had the tips back on it on the sub squirrely, which means that it was at least rolly and in bigger stuff too. Uh, Totally. Yes. Because with the 1095, it's definitely struggles when it gets, when it, because we're, I'm often foiling in like some juicy conditions here. And, and I, I feel like it, you know, I haven't been back on the 980. I was so tempted, especially when I was struggling to like figure out the 1095. But to go back to my 980 to be like, wait, <laughs> you know, but I haven't got back on it. So I almost want to just to see, like, is the drag going to like kill me and mine's going to be over it or, or is it, or is it because yeah, like I feel like the 1095 holds carves better. Like you can like really lay into it and I feel like it holds a more solid, like long carve, but and definitely just bring the turn you know, so much speed too on the 1095. That's what blows. Yes. Mind. It feels really like snowboarding, like groomer carving, you know, like no, yeah, like fully on rail. And that's my favorite feeling in board sports. 
No, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has. It definitely has that rail. But the what was I going to say? And anyway, I should I I I I talk about the cabs. I, I think the podcast you guys did together with oh, what's his name, the guy that designed them, Brody Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, with Brody. That that, that was really good. And it's funny because people have been hitting me up a lot on my uh, because I was riding the cabs and they wanted my reviews, you know. And I have I still haven't done like a legit review on it, but. But you guys basically said everything I would have said in that podcast. So if you guys are listening, just go back and listen to that. I mean, I, I probably still will do a review, especially if I can finally get my own setup. But I, I did ride the eight hundred. So I told you I rode I rode the thousand. Well, that's what I was going to say about the ten ninety five. When it's small, I feel like foiling in general. The smaller the waves are, the easier it is to foil. The more you can rip, the more you can get dialed into the equipment when you're not going yeah. too fast. And that's where I think the 1095 is plenty. Like you can like whip it around, but yeah, it's like when I start going faster and like have these high speeds to like have to transition into the turns and everything else. And I mean, honestly here we're like Puena is one of our main North shore foiling spots where, you know, North shore gets kind of too big and it's always kind of foilable out there almost, but it's also really crowded. So we're like, like seriously slalom coursing foiling, you know, it's like kind of nuts. I pretty much wear a leash out there because of the amount of people. And, uh, but yeah, at that point of point, it's a really fun foil wave, but it's, it's, it's also like one of the main beginner waves on the Island. So there's, it's just littered with people learning how to surf and stuff. So it's an interesting combination out there. But, but anyway, so, so back to the Cabrinas, I rode the thousand with the big tail. It felt a little stiff. And, and then I, I immediately went to the chop tail because Kiahi had, had given me one of each. And, uh, and then I went, I went for the 800 on the chop tail. And when I finally got a decent session on that, I was like, oh, wow, this thing mm-hmm. feels kind of like the 120, you know? And, uh, and then I just started riding the 800. Then we had some doubt. Then we had wind finally for the first time in ages. So I, you know, downwinded with it. <clears throat> Probably my favorite downwind wing to easily is, is that 800. Cause mm-hmm. where, you know, I think the main wing to compare it to is the 120. It's like almost identical in size or whatever, but but it just has that, yeah, it has that higher, it has that lower stall speed, way more surfy to me, I think with that, with those dihedral tips and it's probably a touch slower. The only downsides I'd say compared to the 120, it's probably a little slower and maybe it doesn't pump as easy or fast, but it has that lower stall speed. So that kind of like makes up for all that. And for me, the carving, the smoothness in the carving and how it holds a rail better than the 120 is, is incredible like i had a couple downwind runs that were like strugglers like kind of like searching for these tiny bumps and where on the 120 i would have been just pumping my heart out and on the on the 800 i was able to just keep popping it up high and it would hold on these little bumps like i was pretty surprised like how well it glided uh, in in low speeds you know yeah I, so, I just got the foil parts tail adapter for the cabrina setup yeah and the 178 kajir tail on that is really good and that's what adam said he said the 158 is is the one is incredible too yeah which which kajira definitely tapped in it was so funny because takuma had like tails that were useless and you couldn't even not buy (laughs) and you couldn't not buy them which was so frustrating you're like you're gonna sell me this three hundred dollar two hundred something dollar tail that i'm just gonna not ever use and uh, but then they came out with that new one and i didn't even know where it came from just all of a sudden i tried it and i was like oh wow i think i tried it downwinding for the first time one of my buddies had one and and i was using the 1210 at the time which i think still is one of the most sturdy learn how to downwind wings on because because the 1095 is better once you're better at foiling but 
but uh, but the 1210 glides so well and it locks into that high glide that you need for for downwinding and hard sections mm-hmm. like it is just one of the most user-friendly downwind wings i think but anyway i was on but it's a little stiff you know and and so i put that 178 because i was on the kd 13.5 which was pretty much the main tail i've used almost my whole foiling and, and then I put that 178 on and it loosened it up. It was a little more squirrely and not as precise as the KD, but, but I, yeah, I just, it was, I've been using that kind of ever since, but really looking forward to the 158. I, I call Jeff every week. It's like, oh yeah, I think it's going to be in a few days or next week or <laughs> so we're still waiting, but so good, man. The- yeah. Yeah. But okay. So on the uh, Cabrina stuff. So I find, you know, I kept hearing that Adam kept saying he likes the thousand better. And I was like, man, I couldn't imagine going up a size when the 800 pretty much worked for everything, you know, like I could surf oil with it and you have to pump a little bit harder, but it's, if you get it in the right glide, it's, I feel like it's not as much work as the 120. And, and, but so I, I tried the thousand out at sunset. I've been foiling at sunset, but I shouldn't say much about that, but it's been fun. And, and it was like, honestly, it felt harder to pump. It was like so much work getting it up onto like that high glide to where you get mm-hmm. the, you know, the, where you, where you have the least effort to pump. I mean, it definitely does roll better though. And, and, you know, I, I haven't tried it enough to, uh, to really weigh in on it, but it definitely rolls better. It's a little surfier than that's the only thing with the 800. Again, I'm like, so after riding, you know, and, I, and then I towed with the 650 and I ended up, I don't know if you saw that video that I accidentally downwinded on the 650, which was <laughs> hilarious. That is a freaking funny story. I'm like, I, we're often we're, you know, the, the, where we downwind at Diamond Head, you're like always trying to find parking and everyone's parking. And then there's guys with the truck ready to go. You're always like scrambling half the time. And so I like was scrambling to get my gear together, just threw the wing on, thought I put the 800 on. Cause I didn't think I was, I thought I was going to have to give it back already, but I kept getting these like one or two day extensions on the gear. Cause so many guys have been waiting to try it over here. So we're like panning it around, you know? And, and so I like threw the wing on and, and, and then I put my stuff in the car and, 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 and Hey Mana, he's like, bro, I can't believe you're downwinding on that wing. It's so small. And I'm like, no, this thing works great. I've been using it. It's awesome. He said it probably three times. We're walking down the path to, to jump off the rocks. And he's like, man, that thing is so small. I'm like, no, it's, it's cool. And we, so first wave, I try to get up at Kaiko's and I'm like, whoa, like what is going on here? Something's weird. And then Scotty and Kiko are yelling from the rocks. And I, I think they're telling me to wait for him. You know, I knew they were behind us. And, and I, and I, so I kind of kick out and I almost had to because I was my gear was all weird. And then I see them drinking beers, and I'm like, "Oh, these guys are going to be a while." And so I'm like, "I'm just going to go." So I start trying to go, and every wave, I'm like, just trying to pump out of the because it's pretty frothy in there. A lot of times when you're trying to pump out, and I just thought I set it, I set it up all wrong. You know, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like something just went haywire. And so I'm all frustrated. And finally, I like after a few attempts, I just I get out. I, I start making or right into the wind line and luckily the conditions were pretty good, but I get into the wind line and I was, I knew something was wrong. It was really wiggly side to side. And, and I, you know, I could feel it just wanting to drop on me. But when I got it up to that high glide, the thing like was flying and I was like, okay, maybe I'm just tripping, you know? <laughs> and, and so I made it to like lighthouse or no, I think I had to stop at diamond head. And then, and then like, so I had two stops along the way, but then I still made it. Then I, but then I got to Tongs where we have to come in at it. It's super offshore over there. And I could not get up on foil. 
to save my life. I was tripping. It, I mean, it was pretty small. It was like one footers, but I couldn't get the thing up. And I'm just like so frustrated. And Scotty comes over and he's like, that thing is not the same size as the 120. I'm like, it is, man. It's, it's I don't know what's going on, but, and, and so he goes in and stuff. And I finally look up at the foil and I see 650 <laughs> and I literally just start laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> it was the funniest thing, but such a sigh of relief at the same time. I thought I was just had like lost there, just set the thing up backwards or something. But then I was like, holy crud. Like I actually downwinded on the 650, you know? So effing. Which which kind of comes back to that other question on where I see foils going, you know, and this is also with the Cabrina topic. It was, okay, the 800 is incredible. I think it's one of the best foils. I mean, you can do everything on it. It's the great for depth, probably one of the best downwinding foils, and um, you can surf on it. You can do everything. But it does, it's a little bit high aspect. It doesn't have that role for surfing that you really want, that kind of surfy feeling where it's like hit a thousand, but a thousand is too much. Like we don't need that much wing, you know, or I mean, a guy like, I feel like I don't need that much wing. And so, but they already have the 700 prototype, you know, which I didn't get to try, but I think it's a little less high aspect and it's, it's, but it's still pretty, you know? So I think that's where it's going like with the 90. So I tried, I tried the 90 downwind the other day. That was really tough, but doable. And I think it would have helped if I had the wing dialed in a little more, if I'd used the surfing, but I just went straight from my like 10, you know, surfing on my 1095 to the 90 and, and with a 32 mass, which I wasn't used to because I've been using my 75 carbon Takuma, which is actually shorter than the, than the aluminum mass. And anyway, it was, it, I definitely saw the potential, but I want to try it surfing. That's the main thing I want to try is that 90 and in like decent waves that I can surf on to see how it, to see how it works. But I, I think, again, it's, it's that combo. Like, I don't think they're going to go much smaller than that. I think depending on the size of the guys, obviously, like the Groms, I mean, they're just, when the 120 came out, it was like, it's so funny. But now the 90, I mean, every Grom will be on a 90, you know. But it's just finding those sizes that are in between that have, I think, just mid-aspect. It's finding that right aspect that is not like, like we can't make it all about pumping. Foiling is not about pumping. <laughs> That's a big part of it. But it's like when it comes to surf foiling, we've got to be able to rip, you know. But Adam seems to be doing that, man, on these pretty much whatever he's riding. I know he's figuring it out. He's and you guys too, nice. though. I mean, you, you guys are on like 1210s and stuff. Like like your buddy. Pedigo I mean, rips on the Yeah, thing. Pedigo. I mean, it's like, whoa. But again, you know what? The waves have a lot to do with it too. Like I honestly get so jealous of those waves you guys have in Florida because they look so <laughs> they look so soft and just rippable and like short just because whenever I get it, it's like we rarely get those kind of waves here where it's like one foot and just so perfect. You know, I remember being at like Sano and stuff in California and just how soft and like easy the waves were. And like here, it's like, even when it's like one to two feet, sometimes there's just so much energy and like water pushing around. It's just like, you don't get that because when you do get that perfect glassy perfection, that's when foiling, I think really you can dial in your stuff and like really start ripping, you know, start pushing. Let's take a, let's like, take a back here for the next little bit. You, you mentioned it. Yeah. Your biggest drivers in life have always been surfing and then spirituality. How do yeah. you intersect for you? Do they? Yeah. So yeah, as I, I kind of went off track there. So to just kind of summar, summarize my life path, it was like, you know, first season of my life was 
pro bodyboarding, kind of that whole realm. You know, my injuries led me to start surfing. I was living at Pipe at the time in the late 90s. And uh, in what's Jamie O'Brien's house now, I started just changing over to surfing then and then love surfing. And then, but the spirituality at that time, those kind of, kind of like my early to mid twenties was really pressing on me, like knowing I needed to go after that as much as anything else. And for me, like pipeline was, that was, you know, since I was 14, that was my goal and the place that, you know, you kind of have to just invest all your energy in. So I was already a lot of years in, into pipeline and that was, you kind of got to keep putting in the time every year. But for me, the spirituality just and towing at the time was really big and I was really getting into that. And, you know, that was, I wanted to be part of that kind of bigger wave evolution. And, but the spiritual stuff just kind of drew me away. I went to do this school in Canada and it was a nine month kind of discipleship missionary ish type Bible course. And, uh, and that nine months, basically long story short, short turned into 11 years of being a missionary of living away from the ocean. Pretty much majority of that time I was, we did a lot with board sports, but which was mainly comprised of skating and snowboarding. And, uh, and I started leading these, these discipleship schools out of New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand for five years. I lived in South Africa for eight months. We were going to Europe every year for, you know, one to three months for a long time and, and uh, starting these churches and and resort town communities. So it was basically like trying to create little homes for people that were chasing seasons around the world, especially snow seasons and um, where they could kind of like continue their growth, their spiritual growth no matter if they were like in Europe for the winter or they went to New Zealand for the summer or they're in Chile or like wherever it was. And so, so I was involved with that for a while. That was really awesome. Um, and that was kind of the next season of my life. And then my early thirties, I got married, finally moved back after 11 years, moved back to Hawaii. So in, in those years, I didn't get to surf a lot. Like I would go to Tahiti. Tahiti has always been like, that's pretty much my favorite place in the world. And I spent a lot of time down there. And so I'd go to Tahiti for like a month or sometimes two and just get barreled out of my minds, you know, surfed out almost, and then just go back <laughs> to Europe or New Zealand or wherever I was going. And uh, yeah, so th- those years were, were powerful, but yeah, I made it back to the North shore and was thinking that, oh man, I'm going to get a jet ski. We're going to get back into towings and stuff. And that was when the whole shift was going to paddling in, you know, <laughs> to big waves. And so it was like, no, you're not going to get a jet ski. You got to get a 10 and You got to man up, <laughs> which, was a, which was a scary transition for me. And uh, which I still haven't completely conquered. I haven't served Jaws yet, but hopefully it's, it's still on the list. But anyway, I've had a few, you know, close out YMA days and stuff that have really been, been kind of like life highlights for me as far as like progression and different things and scaring myself. But Anyway, the the next season of life was marriage and business. And I got just kind of thrown into this business here. A buddy of mine and I, he, he got it going. I got involved with him after that. And, and it was this lemonade business that kind of blew up on us. And in a few years, I had two stores, seven days a week, 30 employees, like, you know, farmer's markets, two of them a week, big food events every month. And it was kind of this crazy season that kind of took over my life. And, and it was a tough season, like the first two seasons. And I, and I realized now, you know, I'm going to turn 45 this, this summer. And looking back at kind of the seasons and stages of my life, like it, I realized that success for me has always come with passion and it comes out. I don't know if you know about human design or those kind of things, but, but these kind of, or astrological stuff that kind of helps, helps you to understand who you are and your, your, how you were designed. Each, every one of us is, is pretty individual and there's a lot of themes that people have in common, but just understanding more my design and looking back at, at 
when I was passionate about something, I paid any price. Like with bodyboarding, I made, you know, the sacrifices are, are endless that I made to get to that point of being able to live my dream. And then same with the missionary thing. It was like, I gave up everything. And because I did, and because I was so passionate, it was like, I was really, you know, successful at it. And um, unfortunately, not in monetary terms, but in, in being stoked on life and feeling like I'm living my purpose and all that. And then the marriage and business was also part of the purpose, but it was it was the hard years for sure. About ten, I mean, I was married for seven and a half years, but that season I would say it was about a ten year season of marriage and business, and um, a gnarly one that took has taken me a bunch of these last years to recover from. And I think I'm just coming fully out of it now. And, but so I realize now that I need to, t- I need to figure out what are the driving passions in my life. And I need to make that a priority to not, you know, just do some random job to make money to whatever. And if I do that, I'm going to be successful. And uh, so I've recently got into in the last two years before, even about a year before that I was getting into massage, just didn't even think about it. And wait, hang on. Am I going off the track of what the question was? No, you're good. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So, so I started kind of dabbling with massage in the main, when I was in the mainland, somebody gave me a massage table and uh, yeah, basically after I got divorced and the business kind of like came to an end, I kind of went back out into the world. I've always been a traveler and kind of needing to feel the global temperature, you know, and, and I just would feel that by going on these around the world trips a lot. And, and so I kind of went back out, which COVID ended up happening and I kind of got more stuck in California and actually this was before COVID, but anyway, I spent a bit of time in California, started going to Burning Man, started going on the psychedelic journey. And because, you know, within the whole Christian stuff, I was not doing any of that stuff for you know majority of, of my life. And even though I was, had value for it to some degree, but to me, it was just the end of marriage and business took me out of kind of fundamental religion and Christianity and kind of began to open up a new, a, a broader path for me spiritually. And that's kind of been the ongoing progression, which is really the same progression I've been in. I feel my whole life has just been seeking truth and seeking, knowing that there's always more out there and that there's always more to learn and experience. So therefore continuing to push boundaries, you know, and I was always doing that within the realms that I was involved in and whether spiritual or board writing or whatever it was. And, and so, yeah, so that kind of has led me more into, into massage. And then I, and then I ended up getting this Hawaiian Lomi Lomi massage from these guys who were really good on my mom's birthday a couple years ago. And, and it was a life changer. I was crying, screaming, sweating head to toe. It was one of the gnarliest experiences I ever had. Like I could not believe these guys were inflicting so much pain on me, but they were also reading my body like a map, like telling me about myself, knowing like, cause of where the pain was in my body, like what's going on with me and all this stuff. And being a Hawaiian, like I, I value Hawaiian cultural things. And I knew Lomi was the Hawaiian version of massage, you know? And so long story short, I started training with them and that's been the last two years. I've been doing it most every Friday, apart from when I had that little five month road trip in the mainland during COVID, but, and it's been changing my life massively. And what's crazy is, is what I've realized is there's all these themes that are lining up in my life right now with foiling is all about balance. You know, the only way you're going to be able to foil is to be in alignment and be fully balanced. There's no bobbling. There's no like little things, you know, it's like, that's the first thing you learn about foiling that you just got to stand absolutely squared off. 
And then, and then in order to foil foundation training came into my life, which I know you're familiar with. And it's like, that's probably the only reason I'm still foiling to the degree that I, I can't, you know, now is, is because of foundation training. I mean, just 10 minutes of that stuff a day is like a life changer. And foundation training is all about alignment and all about posture and, and, you know, doing things in proper alignment. And so Lomi is the same exact thing. So, so the difference of Lomi to like kind of just general massage or all these different types of massage is it's really a theory of alignment. It's not even, a, it's not even about techniques with Lomi. You can use any technique to accomplish the goal of alignment and that alignment excuse me is is holistic alignment so it's understanding that the body is you know body soul mind it is physical it's spiritual and it's emotional so we have these these three factors that are always affecting each other one is never on its own and and even to something like like this is a great example recently for me like this is kind of a little lonely story but but what has really impacted me is so Lomi has been trying to get my life in order. So I have this teacher who's kind of like a sensei. It's like the school I'm in is not really like a school. There's never been a book. There's never been, they won't let me take notes. It's like literally watch and do and feel and be led by spirit, led by Akua. And, and so I'm trying to learn this thing. It's, it's been tricky, you know, because Lomi is not just like a one hour massage where you just hit the body equally. You're literally having to diagnose what's out of alignment in this person. Why, why is one leg shorter than the other? Which way is the hips twisted? Each hip is its own rotation. So it can be twisted five different ways. And how am I going to reach, you know, undo that? And what muscles are pulling on that hip in order to put it back into alignment? And that's just the hips, you know, then you have shoulders and the whole rest of the body. So it's, it's been this challenging process for me because of especially the unorthodox, you know, the more more indigenous way of teaching and learning. And and my teacher learned from one of the greatest Lomi masters who lived in our in our current generation, who's dead now. But and so I see the stuff they're doing. I see how he helps people. I mean, it's just crazy. Like anybody, no matter how bad they're injured, how many doctors they've seen, how much therapy they've been to. If they can't figure out what's going on, I know that my teacher in 15 minutes is going to be able to look at their body and figure out what's really going on and how to holistically put that person on a path towards healing. And it's just been blowing me away because I was at a healing school for five years in Northern California. That was more like miracles and stuff where I, I saw, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of crazy miracles, blind eyes, deaf ears, everything you can imagine. And, uh, and that was amazing. But it's still like this. There's a lot of mystery to why it happens and doesn't happen, you know, all the time. Cause it you still usually doesn't happen, but it does happen a lot. And so, so, you know, I, I, that's a big part of the path I've been on is just with spirituality, it comes down to serving people and helping people. And, and so the Lomi has been the same and I never saw myself being a massage therapist, but here I am now two years into this thing. And I'm realizing it's, it's actually intersecting. Like, like you asked, like, how do all these things start to intersect? And so for me, it's really the theme in my life is balance and spirit has been so faithful to me my whole life. It's like, oh, I'm getting emotional here, but it's like the faithfulness of God in my life has been so drastic over so many years and through highs and lows and everything in between. And it's like, I look back even just these harder seasons that I've come out of and it's like, somehow I ended up in this loamy thing. Somehow I ended up in this foiling thing. Somehow I ended up in, 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 um, 
in foundation training, you know, and all these three things are pushing me in all the same direction. And it's like, I'm struggling with my Lomi and my, and my teacher kept telling me, he's like, Kavika, when you're in alignment with Akua, which is God, the Hawaiian form of God's spirit, when you're in alignment with me, your teacher, your Lomi is going to be in alignment. And he, kept, and he kept telling me this, and this is like such a basic principle that I've taught for years. You know, I used to go around teaching schools all over the world, like more within that Christian realm. And, and this is just basic principles that when you're in alignment with God, other things come into alignment, you know, it's priorities. And, and I, so I, I was hearing it, but I wasn't hearing it on a deeper level. And then I go out to Waimea on the second to last, before the second to last big swell we had on the North Shore, and I cracked my neck and I've cracked my neck dozens of times at pipeline over all the years you know all the just the head first dives where you're just on the drops so i had the worst one of my life at waimea on a day that wasn't even that big but i just you know free fell like a 10 footer head first cracked it took like almost two months to like fully get that thing healed but it basically came down to my c1 which is the highest vertebrae right next to my right ear that allows your neck to turn side to side and and it was they could barely set it and stuff but anyway i didn't get the message on this thing because with lomi we understand that the body is a map that's telling the pain in our body is pointing to emotional issues that we need to deal with to get into alignment so that our body can be released of the pain also but it's more so the emotions that are the main thing that need to be released or whatever issue is blocking us and um so I didn't get the message on the neck. And then before the last big swell we had, the day before, I'm surfing Jocko's and I jump off on like a four or five footer and I hit my ear on the surface. I've hit my ear dozens of times, surfing, foiling, everything so hard. So many times where I keep asking people, I'm like, man, like, how do you break an eardrum? Like, I can't believe I've never broken an eardrum. And so I jump off on this wave and just instantly break my eardrum, you know, perforate it, just ringing and lose my equilibrium and all this. And the waves are pretty big. So I'm like trying to get in and, and it was, just, I kept saying, it's just funny. I've hit it so many times harder, but that time it like pierced my eardrum and it didn't even seem that hard. And so I wake up the next morning and one of my, uh, my co-star app tells me this one, it gives me like daily one phrase things. And it goes, listen, when your body speaks and I'm like, I'm like, okay, obviously that's like pretty pertinent for me today, which is crazy. I didn't sleep all night because my eardrum was so sore. I couldn't go to Lomi that day. It was Lomi Fridays. Every Friday we have our school. And then we had an ayahuasca ceremony. And we've been doing kind of like month every month or two months, we've been doing ayahuasca with our Lomi crew. And it's been very powerful in helping me to, you know, see blind spots, helping me to just grow as a person and come into alignment. And so right before the right before the ceremony even started, I it just hits me, my right neck right next to my ear, literally a quarter inch away from my C1 that was most damaged on the last injury, which was the worst type of, of that kind in my life. And then my ear, which was the worst I ever hurt my ear in my life. And they're literally a quarter inch apart. So right side is masculine, which is Kane, male. And so, and my ear listening. So not listening to males in my life is how Lomi would, would diagnose that. And the main male in my life is my Lomi teacher, who's been trying to help grow me as a person. And as this Lomi student and and so it was so obvious that i wasn't listening to my teacher and i went into ceremony and it just got amplified by like a thousand that oh my gosh all my rebuttals and all my little what ifs what about this what about that you know you can teach me a little better and all these things it just silenced and it was like no kavika it's always been the same when you're right with spirit and you're right with the mentors in your life your life is going to be right and your practice is going to be good 
And so from that ceremony on, I've, you know, and I've, I've been, it's been about a year of me trying to come into better alignment in my life and in my priorities and in my, whatever it is from partying to not partying to substances to all these different kinds of things. And, and the more I've gotten into alignment, just everything is shifting and it's been awesome. And, and foiling is a huge part of that, but it's really this bigger thing, which actually comes down to another, not another topic, same topic, but me trying to find my purpose, like really my, my life purpose. And, and, a lot of a big way we can discover that is through our parents. You know, I, I believe we, we chose our parents and we come through them to help remind us of what our purpose sometimes as a family unit is maybe generationally a family unit or just even our personal purpose. And, and so, so my mom has, you know, it's her, her face on the Hawaiian airlines plane. So, so my mom, you know, my mom was Miss Hawaii and Miss Maui and all this stuff. And then they literally used her picture to, to make the Hawaiian airlines logo. Wow. And I only, I only found that out, like, you know, when the new logo came out 10 years ago or whatever, and it was her from the original logo, like almost 40 years now. And so it's like, so, so as I've been on this, you know, psychedelic journey and just, just personal discovery of like knowing myself and how I can best operate in the world, I'm like, Hey, what is it about her? She's the most recognized Hawaiian face in history. And she's on the cutting, the most cutting edge vehicle that we currently have, which are planes apart from spaceships. But as far as majority of us are, are flying in planes, and so, so that's the cutting edge. And now I'm in foiling. And so it has to do with flying. And my dad was pure Scottish. My mom's Hawaiian. My dad was pure Scottish. Everyone called him the flying Scotsman. He named, he named our soccer team when I was in second and third grade. The, we lived in Pukalani and it, he called it the Pukalani Flyers, which would translate to the flyers of the holes in the heavens. And, and that hit me when I was on Kauai this, this summer and this amazing experience in Kalalau out in this powerful nature thing and having this God encounter. And I was like, okay, it's something to do with flying. And, and as a Hawaiian, navigation is the Polynesian gift. You know, that is their superpower, is their ability to navigate across thousands of miles of open ocean without compasses, you know, literally letting the stars guide them and uh, finding places like Hawaii and all this crazy stuff. But so I've known for me, the spiritual, it's like spiritual navigation, you know, for myself and helping others to navigate the spiritual realm in their life. And, and so, but the flying thing is, it's just being revealed more and more. And every like ayahuasca ceremony I have, it kind of unfolds the picture more and more. And so I'm currently working on an art project that is going to like encompass a lot of these things. But a big part of it is this thing of flying. And I, on my last ayahuasca journey, I, I realized that I am flyer. I just had this phrase that just popped into my head that I am flyer. And, and so the two main things I'm focusing my life on now is the Lomi Lomi, helping people through that way. And then I'm going to start teaching foiling. And helping people to fly because that's basically been my main gift has been teaching. And that's what I've done for, you know, a couple decades prior to this last season. And so I can operate in my passions completely and, and be a part of this flying evolution, you know, and it's, and for me, it goes just beyond the physical, even to helping people fly dimensionally and spiritually, which is what I'm also going to be getting into with some different things. But anyway, there's a ramble for you. That was, that was wonderful. You know, like I, foiling has been so important to me and you might've heard, I've said it a few times, I think on the show, but you know, we had to move back from Costa Rica because my wife had a brain tumor and it was a really heavy few years. And then yeah. right at the end, kind of as everything was clearing up for her and she had a miraculous recovery. I mean, her brain was on the cover of a neuroscience magazine for how lucky wow. she was. 
I mean, just amazing. And her, just her, her, her demeanor is so positive. You know, there was like never a moment of doubt for her that it wasn't going to go as it did, even though probably, you know, she got really lucky, I would say, but she never, she never questioned that. I did all the worrying, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like tell pictures of me like before and after. You're <laughs> older, so oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's like wrinkles and losing hair, but, but she came through it. And then shortly thereafter, foiling came along and like, I love living in Costa Rica. And I just absolutely, I mean, I surfed, I'm in the water kind of more than almost anybody. I mean, I guess people listen yeah. to the show are in the water more than anybody, but I'm probably in the water more than most people that listen to the show. Yeah. Um, and foiling was just like, like felt like this gift to where I was so bummed. We had to leave Costa Rica. I love Central America. I love where we live. And then it was really difficult to be back here. And then there was foiling. And now all of a sudden I live in a place that's just incredible almost every day. Can you believe it's, like, it's like beautiful karmic reward for going through something that was so difficult. And I don't know. It's awesome. Man, you, you guys are kind of lucky, even though I, 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 I wouldn't wish to be in Florida, but because <laughs> I do like <laughs> surfing and I love all the ways we get on the North shore, but it's like, it, it helps you guys focus on foiling. Like here it's really hard because I mean, the first year I like just foiled pretty much, you know, I probably surfed a handful of times that winter, but, but uh, cause it was so hard to surf. It was like so discouraging, but this winter I told myself 50, 50. So I've been getting back into surfing and it's been really, really good to balance it out. But, but it's like, you don't have that distraction, you know, it's just cause, cause once it gets <laughs> small here, I don't even think about surfing, but it's like in the winter, I'm always like, Oh, do I surf? Do I foil? Like what foil do I use? It just, it doesn't keep you as focused and it slows the progression for sure. You know? And now with downwind and winging. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Winging is incredible. Like, I've gotten it is. That. But the downwind thing, man, it's like, it's all I'm thinking about. Like, I go to bed at night, like, basically dreaming about downwind. Just like, I, I, I do this thing where I kind of meditate through my last session, you know? So, yeah, I feel like I learned so much when I do that. I can, like, kind of, like, huge man. Session in my head huge and it's so fun to do that on a downwind run because i'm just like learning like where all the energy is right now because it's new it's not like a shore runner and so every session i get out there i'm like ah oh, there's energy here i'm like so rad and then and it's it's it, it's funny listening to you now because i feel like you everyone's in different stages in the in the foiling disciplines you know right and it's like you guys are just tapping more into the downwind we're here it's like we've been tapped in for the last year like once once i got the downwind it was like oh my gosh like this is what i was born to do you know we're like got 10 of your homies just flying out on yeah. just snowboarding on ocean bumps for miles and what's crazy it's it's ultimate flow state I mean, once you learn to foil, you're, you know, foiling in the beginning is flow state just to even keep the glide. But, but then once you get it, it's like, okay, it's like, you know, you start progressing, but the downwinding, especially in the beginning, it was like the amount of, of consciousness and focus that you have to have to like not breach, to read the ocean as the puzzle, to get your, keep your cardio down, to like link up with the ground swell and you know and then your homie is just i mean there's so many factors that it's almost like being in a tube for miles you know i just and, did that yesterday you can, somebody you can do it next to your homie and be like high-fiving and stuff it's like it's so awesome you know so this is something i've been thinking about it's happened to me on probably 60 to 80 percent of of my runs is there's a moment usually about 
five, seven minutes in, I'm usually doing, I don't know, one to four mile runs, something like that. So five to 20 minutes on foil. Yeah. And generally like right around that, like six or seven, there's this moment that, that it just kind of like hits me how otherworldly it is. It's like, it's such a unique environment when you're standing there in the middle of the ocean and the whole middle of the ocean yeah. around you in this yeah. like, weird way. And it's just like, it's kind of like being in a tube in that same regard where like the first time you really get barreled, it just doesn't feel like it's the same world you've lived in your whole life. You're like, yeah. I mean, I can remember my first barrels and it's like, Oh, this is like, you're like in a whole different dimension. I kind of feel like downwinding is that same thing where, you're in such a, dy- a, dy- a dynamic environment. Everything is is moving and there's all these weird pockets of energy and you're just gliding through it. I don't know. It's, it's un- unreal. I think what it is, it's, it's, it's nature. It's, it's, it's that connection with nature that's on so many levels at once where, I mean, you got this, you know, like the other day, this, a gust of wind hit me when I was downwinding. That was literally maybe the strongest gust I've ever felt while downwinding. And it wasn't even that windy of a day. Like it must've been a 40 or 50 mile an hour gust. And it pushed me so fast and hard. I literally just, I I was wearing a t-shirt and I instantly grabbed the bottom of my shirt and opened it like a parachute because of just how hard the wind was pushing me. And it's like, yeah, you have these moments like on the really good downwind days. Like we, we haven't had a lot of, we've had bad wind this, this whole winter, which has been incredible for the surf and stuff, but just there hasn't been much downwinding. And we've, you know, we had some days where it's kind of like, you know, we always grade the runs like one through 10. So we had, you know, sixes and sevens and whatever, but all of a sudden I had this run the other evening and I was just, I think I was, everybody had bailed and I was going to do one more before dark. And for some reason it was getting better and better with the incoming tide right into, into the sunset. And I just had this run, the sun had set and I'm just going down and it was effortless, you know, like almost no pumping. And there was just the wind and the lighting and everything. And and I'm just out there alone. The ocean's black. You can't see a thing. Like, hopefully there's no debris or turtles or anything (laughs) because it's just too dark already. And, you know, just that Keiko's run, just three miles. And I'm just like pure worship. Like for me, that's what like worship is. Like, Like when you're doing what you were created to do and you're in, you're in, collaboration with nature especially like just even being in the ocean it's like you know people talk about grounding and stuff when you're in the ocean you're submersed in nature and then downwinding it's like you got the wind and the glide like mother nature is literally carrying us and when the conditions get epic she's literally just carrying us and we're just standing there like just flying and it's like is this really happening like so grateful it's crazy i love it man i can't get yeah. it so I guess I gotta, I just gotta man up and get this sub thing figured out, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to try to paddle in on the, on the Barracuda first and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are your sub skills? I don't have any sub skills, but what's good is what I realized. Cause I tried to actually, that's what really bummed me out like a few months back or more than a few months back, six months ago, I tried to get on one of Jack's buddies subs. And it was like 108 liters or something. And I couldn't even stand on the thing. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is horrible, let alone start paddling, you know? And, but yeah, I've never stopped or anything like that. And, and, but then I got into winging. I started learning how to wing. I'm still only about 10 or so sessions in, but I can do it, you know? And, and, but I, I borrowed this four, six board, shout out to Paul Cooper, who let me borrow this thing that he wasn't using, but it was a four, six, 81 liter, I don't know, 23 wide or four or something like that. 
And so it was a pretty short board. And because my knees from just the knee injuries and dropping and stuff, I, I couldn't do, I, I just can't do the knee progression. So I had to drop knee to get up. And then by the second day I was, I went to do it, the winging, my knee, my knee that I had down was so bruised. There was just no way I could, I could kneel on it. So I had to just start standing up on the board. So I would just stand up on this four, six, you know, and it was, I guess, wide enough to where I could do it. And so I just got used to getting up on that and then holding my wing and then trying to go from there. So I think because of that thing, I think that's going to help me on the sup for sure. Yeah, it will. Being it being able to like stand up on a, you know, unstable platform, but I don't know with the width and stuff, we'll, we'll have to see. Just just start borrowing some boards. Yeah. Up. That's what I, that's what I'm probably going to do. Yeah. And everybody's going to start upgrading soon. So there's going to be some used boards around be my guess. Yeah. And just honestly, lately I haven't had that much time. Like I'm, I'm doing a lot more massage throughout the week and stuff. And, and then I got to get this foiling school thing going and, and uh, just other things where I just don't have that much water time. So it's like, I'm getting these like shorter sessions. So I'm like, Oh, if the wind's good or if it's good, it's out there. But I, yeah, I'm sure this summer I'll just have to make it happen. Yeah. Where are you going to do the foil school? I mean, just on the North shore. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just help people. My goal is to kind of do it where people would, would pay like a decent amount and I help them from start to finish, you know, kind of like a mentorship thing. Oh, where, you know, like teaching them spots, teaching them, you know, about the culture, the stuff, you know, just, just more because for me, style has always been like the biggest thing, whether it be in fashion and board sports. And and I realized over the years that style comes down to lifestyle. You know, it's really it's, it's the line you draw through life and everyone's got everyone's got a different style and some are some are good. Some are a little stinky somewhere. But it's like when someone has good style, they don't have to be ripping that hard. But if you, if they have good style, it's fun to watch them or it's, it's, it's nice to watch. And so I kind of want to take people more on that approach of like, of learning to foil and how to have style, how to operate within the community, how to, you know, learn how to surf certain spots and then eventually how to, what foil, you know, help them to buy a foil setup that will be good for them and stuff like that. Just kind of take them through the whole, the whole process. You mentioned style there. Talk about style in foiling and what constitutes good style and what you aspire to do yeah i mean i think at this point <laughs> we all got our eyes on adam leading the charge there but but i also realize it has a lot to do with his waves you know and i got to keep reminding myself of that like and even if i and i want to go there so bad because of how awesome all his footage is but at the same time i realize i'm goofy so i'm going to be backside on all those waves you know which it backside is a lot harder like roundhouse wraparounds and then hitting the whitewater is just tough you know and and but but yeah i think just like what constitutes good style is somebody that makes it look easy and effortless whether it be pumping whether it be foiling and i think the lines you draw you know i've tried some shorter fuses a little bit and i just couldn't get into them i don't know it was, it was like too wiggly and wobbly i mean i, I shouldn't really talk about that kind of stuff because i have so little experience on on that type of gear but but i do i do feel limitations in my length of my takuma mass and i do want some shorter things and stuff but 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 you know i try that yet i know i need i I need to borrow one of those i think one of my buddies got one of those yeah they're good which would help which would help me now i mean i have a lift tail adapter but i just haven't really been riding lift so but yeah, with it, and what's been tough is with the foiling with the straps. Like for me, like in the beginning, I was like, 
I was like, as soon as I'm good enough to ride straps, I'm going to be riding straps. It's like, I don't care about looking cool anymore. I'm freaking in my forties. Like if I can boost airs and do flips and stuff, like I'm going to do whatever's the most fun. Like, I don't care about, you know, wearing straps or not wearing straps. So I like got into the strap thing as soon as I could. And that was a whole nother learning curve of like ego crushing and stuff, getting in the foot straps. And then, but then it was like, oh my gosh, it's like easier to do airs foiling than it is to do on a surfboard you know with the straps i mean a straight air basically and 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 so i was getting into that and and i liked it but then i tweaked my then i started downwinding with the front foot strap and i was on koi downwinding at the spot and i tweaked my ankle i did some weird fall and it like really tweaked my ankle so i was wasn't even able to ride with straps for months and and then i don't know then the 1095 was kind of like not really a wing i wanted to use with straps at first and I just, yeah, I haven't been riding with straps much. I think riding without straps lends to better style for sure. I do still want to ride with straps definitely as time goes on. But, but yeah, I think just drawing, drawing clean lines is and being calm, having calmness in the style. I'm not saying I have the best style, especially with foiling. It's like I'm still trying to learn how to do this thing. But I, oh, actually, I know the summer is going to be two years actually of foiling. I didn't stay quite as committed in this last year. The first year I was just frothed <laughs> to the absolute maximum. <laughs> it's funny how, how much you can progress when you're that froth, you know? Absolutely. But then I feel like it comes down to gear too. It's like, I've definitely been held back by gear a lot in this last year. It's just been a little, that's been a little frustrating, but yeah. If any foil companies want to show some love, we out here. What do you want to leave folks with? This has been a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I know. It's awesome, man. What do you want to leave folks with? Powerful. Yeah. From Kavika. I would say, I guess, I think the style, like the lifestyle, you know, for me, that's what it's coming down to. The stage of my life is like, even when I was, I was driving the other day and I'm kind of like a faster driver, you know, I'm not like the most patient guy. I'll like skizzle around people and places. And I did this little skizzle move and I was on the North shore and I pulled in and somebody like beeped or whatever. And I was like, you know what, Kavika, if you did that same move in the water, that would be bad style. You know, you, you, you see, if you saw somebody, you know, paddle around somebody and like did some like quick little thing. And it just hit me on that level that, you know what, that was bad style. And it's like, that's not the kind of person I want to be in my community, even though I was rushing to do whatever, you know, and whatever practice, my time management wasn't good that day or whatever, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's like st style is lifestyle, you know, and, and it affects the way we foil. It's going to affect the way we clean our house, the, the way we do whatever, the way we love the people closest to us. And, and, and what I've, for me, the best definition of Lomi that I've, that's hit me lately is Lomi is making space for the priority of love. And it's like, cause one of the main reasons why people's bodies have pain and tension is because things are stuck, right? And they're stuck because there's not space. So a big part of us, of, of how we work on bodies is we make space. You know, if, if the shoulders are really tight, it's like, I have to make space below the shoulders down the back before I can move those shoulders further back. And so in our lives, if, if you know my life has been too cluttered it's been too cluttered with a lot of different things and it's like I, it's it loses my focus and therefore loses my effectiveness as a human and so that's why i'm having to like do less things in my life to be more effective and to have a more fulfilled life and and it's it's really that that lifestyle line that we draw and so yeah maybe it's a little challenge for people to just check their style in the little things and the way we affect 
our closest relationships and the way we affect our community and in the way we look out in the water riding our foil boards which is a big thing in the surf lineup nowadays you know but yeah but i really appreciate it oh the other thing is man all the homies like mega shout outs to all the homies that have helped me along the way that have encouraged me into foiling it was not an easy thing getting into it and and all the people that have helped since i mean the voyager crew the whole the north shore downwind crew i mean the camaraderie is second to none that i've experienced in any sport ever and uh, that's probably the most beautiful thing about the sport is the camaraderie that you have and in these like communities and it's funny that the sup thing is actually currently dividing our community <laughs> right now <laughs> it's like the chat just goes the wind's firing and normally the chat's just going crazy but there's all these secret subsenders who are doing their little secret missions you know we're like and me and keikoa we, we uh, keikoa coined it the the triple s the secret subsenders but now it's like everybody's kind of getting into it so now we just all kind of got to do it but it's it's just funny because we had a moment there last summer was i mean who knows if it'll ever be at that level but it's like we had this summer of love i would call it where the voyager crew that diamond head area i mean we had from the some of the best surfers in the world to just everybody in between just sometimes 20 guys just these crews that were just so epic to downwind with and it's like the more the merrier you know we got like 15 foils in the back of trucks and stuff I mean, it's just priceless, like these moments that we've shared and it's incredible. And I get to go sometimes with like John, John and these guys and just seeing their stoke for it, even, you know, fact him and here's a little insight on, on him and his brother, Nathan, those guys have been on the nineties and they've been doing downwinds and they said, there's no top speed on the 90. They said they're out on big ocean bumps and they can pump down the bumps and it doesn't feel like it's going to breach. It just, he says, you can just try to go faster and faster. And they're big guys. They're like two, probably 200 pounds, you know? So crazy stuff. But anyway, unreal. Blessed. I'm blessed, ultra blessed and thankful. And thankful for you for what you're doing, man, and putting all this stuff out there. This is awesome. It's a long time coming and I'm glad that we finally got to do it. And I think it, uh, it, 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 it it's going to be a, a fan favorite, I think. You know, we covered so much and it wasn't just foiling and I love that. I love it when the show goes deeper than foiling, you know, like foiling is the theme that binds us, the, the bond yeah. between us, but, but yeah. And, 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 and man, for everybody out there, like we're flying, we are, we are now flying to a degree and we got to also keep in mind that this is, it, there's so much more to come and it's going to be the people that can most keep thinking out of the box that are going to take us to those levels that we can't even comprehend of right now. Cause five years ago, I could have not even four years ago, three years ago, I could have not comprehended like how foiling would have affected my life, you know? And it's, it's just psycho. So we know that that's always going to be available and it's actually going to move faster and faster as time and technology goes forward. I am right there with you. I could not have pictured in my wildest dreams, this reality five years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Just super grateful for it. Dude, Kavika, thank you for coming on the show. It's been awesome. Epic. And yeah, if children of the free world on Instagram for anyone who doesn't already follow Kavika Drummond and thank you guys. Right on. Yeah. Mahalo to all those out there in the crew foiling world. And thank you. Aloha Nui. 
Deconstruction Project Podcast. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.